it's amazing how relevant the Bible is at all times, is it not? I mean, it's, a, it's an old book, but it remains relevant even to this day. And uh, what's great about the book of Proverbs and studying Proverbs together is you cover kind of everything, don't you? You know, in one passage, it's talking about how to spend your money. And in the same passage, it's talking about what justice looks like. And then in the very next passage, it talks about what it looks like to value God and family. And then in the next one, it talks about striving against the wicked. So it kind of covers everything in the book of Proverbs. And I was thinking about this passage and this verse in particular and about how prominent it is in our world today. For instance, in 2019, the New York State Senate passed a law that legalized abortion all the way up to the point of birth for any reason whatsoever. Which means that you could have a mother who is actively in labor, who is in the process of pushing out a child, a child who would be totally healthy, totally viable outside of the womb. As she is pushing, she could make the decision that she just actually doesn't want to be a mother anymore, give the doctors permission, and the doctors were legally able to then murder that child who is totally healthy and totally viable. They passed that law in 2019 in the New York State Senate, and here's what happened. The entire chamber stood up and loudly applauded. A standing ovation for the legalized murder of innocent human babies. Those who forsake the law, praise the wicked. Not only that, I mean, we see evil everywhere in our world today, and we know that recently the world has been coming for our children, seeking to indoctrinate our children and expose them to pretty much every sort of perversity that they can imagine. And so last year, there was a new Dutch show that premiered, and this show was called Simply Naked. Here's the premise of the show. They have children between the ages of 10 to 12 come in. 10 to 12. Keep that in mind. Children ages 10 to 12 come in, and then they bring in full-grown adult transgender people, and the transgender people strip naked in front of the children ages 10 to 12 years old. The two girls on the front row are 10 and 12. And so they have them come in, strip naked, and they are allowed to ask questions about the naked person's body in order to normalize transgender bodies. Not only that, we know the rise and the prominence of drag queen story hours, where you have adult drag queens go to libraries and they're reading stories to children. And you would think the world would look at this, you would think a civilized world would look at these two instances and they would respond with outrage. You would think there would be an uproar and people would be revolting, but instead, the world met both of these with praise, with applause, with celebration. And what's interesting is that one library where they were doing a drag queen story hour, a local pastor decided to do something about it. And he said, I'm going to start a pastor story hour where I'm going to go and I'm going to read Bible stories to children for one hour every single week. And the town protested. They literally labeled the pastor story hour. They said that it was dangerous and harmful to their children. Do, do you see the irony here? 
Adult drag queens reading to children and literally performing their act for children was praiseworthy and to be celebrated, but a pastor reading the Bible to children was labeled as dangerous and harmful to children. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. Everywhere we look in our world today, we see evil and wickedness thriving. We see the kingdom of darkness prospering. What does that show us? I mean, does it show us the power of sin? Yeah, absolutely it does. D does it show us that the devil and his kingdom of darkness are prospering? I would say so in many ways. I mean, uh, it, does it show us that, that the devil's just too powerful and there's nothing we can do? Well, no, that's not the case at all, actually. There's another reason. You see, you look at our world and you realize that the prosperity of evil is due in part to the cowardice of Christians. And I know we don't like hearing that because I think most people in this room would call themselves a Christian. But it's true, the prosperity of evil in our world is in part due to the cowardice of Christians. I want you to listen to the full verse again of Proverbs 28, 4. Those who forsake the wicked, or, or those who forsake the law, praise the wicked. That listen to the second part. But those who keep the law, Christians, what do they do? Strive against them. Against whom? The wicked. So what's happening here? This verse is telling us that the reason evil is prospering is because Christians are, are failing to strive against the wicked in the kingdom of darkness. We're sitting around doing nothing. As one man said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Why does evil prosper? Why do so many in our world praise the wicked? It's because the majority of Christians are cowardly and quiet. We don't want to offend people, right? We don't want to stir up trouble. We, we don't want to, to, to make people upset with us. We don't want to make people angry. We want people to like us. And so what we do is we sit back and we do nothing and we say nothing. But when we do that, evil continues to spread and prosper in our world. We are God's solution to the problem of evil and wickedness in the world. Church, do you understand that? Here's what this verse is telling us. Here's what I want you to understand. Evil gains traction when the church fails to take action. Evil gains traction when the church fails to take action. The Bible is saying we must do something here. There's a call to action here. If we want to see evil stop prospering in our world, if we want to see evil decline in our world, we've got to do something. And so the question is, well, what actions must the church take to prevent wickedness from prospering? What do we do, in other words? What actions must we take to prevent wickedness from prospering? And that's what the Lord has for us this morning. And I want you to, again, think about that first part of the verse, Proverbs 28, 4. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. Now, look at that verse, and I want you to see that it gives us two very distinct reasons we see the prosperity of evil in our world today. Wickedness is applauded and commended first and foremost because of what, church? People are forsaking the law. Now, it's important to note that the word law here is just a Hebrew word that refers to instruction or to teaching. 
And it's a reference to all of God's inspired words. So today, it would encompass the entirety of the Bible. So uh, you could appropriately translate this verse, those who forsake the Bible, those who forsake the Word of God, praise the wicked. And that word forsake, it simply means to abandon or to disregard, to have no interest in. And so then notice what's happening here. The Bible is saying that God's Word is supposed to be our governing standard in the world. You see, all of the world is supposed to submit themselves to God and His rule and His law. His Word is supposed to govern all of humanity. And I know there are people who are like, but I'm not a Christian, so that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't matter. <laughs> God is seated on the throne he is the king of kings. He rules over everything, whether you want to acknowledge that rule or not. That does nothing to undermine his rule. God sovereignly rules over everything, and so his word is supposed to govern everything. It's our objective, absolute standard of governance, but the problem is people are forsaking that. And when you forsake that, when you disregard that, the world descends into chaos. You're left with a world like the book of Judges where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. It is an absolute free-for-all where anything goes. I'm reminded again of one of my favorite books of all time, The Lord of the Flies. If you've read that book, you know there's a, a group of young boys who are stranded on a deserted island and there are no adults. And the boys quickly realize that since there is no adult, there's no authority. And since they're away from civilized society, they are no longer bound by the rules of society. And so the boys realize they're free to govern themselves. They can decide what goes and what's good and what's right and what's appropriate. Basically, they give themselves permission to do whatever they want to do. And turns out what they want to do is evil and wickedness. It's what their heart naturally desires. It's not long before they start hunting each other down and killing each other. You might go, well, pastor, that's just a story. We're living in the Lord of the Flies right now, folks. Our whole world has decided they don't need God. They don't need another authority. They can decide for themselves what they want to do. Our world has decided that they are their own authority in life. And so you end up with the world that we're living in today, which is a world of relativism, which is a scary world to live in. If you don't know what that means, moral relativism, it's the belief that there is no such thing as absolute morality. Which means our world believes that nothing can unequivocally be said to be good or bad, right or wrong. Every single person can decide for himself what is good and bad, right and wrong. And that might sound appealing to some, but do you see how that leads to chaos? I mean, hey, in your mind, you might, you might think it's wrong to, to murder and steal. But if I decide it's good to murder and steal, you can't tell me otherwise if we are our own authority. If there's nothing that's absolute and objective over us, governing us, the world descends into chaos and madness. You get lunacy, which is what we see today, right? I mean, if there's no absolute objective standard over us, it's the reason you end up with people saying nonsensical things like, his truth, her truth, my truth, their truth. What does that even mean? <laughs> Since when does truth need a possessive pronoun? Truth is truth. It requires no possessive pronoun. 
There is no such thing as your truth, my truth, their truth. There is just the truth. That's it. You end up with just lunacy like that when there is no objective standard. But listen, you also, if there is no objective standard over us, if there's nothing guiding us that's absolute and and different from us, apart from us, outside of us, you can't condemn anything. Everything has to be accepted. Which is why we literally have a group of people today, right now, in America, in this country, there's a group of people today advocating for the acceptance and normalization of pedophilia. I was reading about this just this week. There's a group right now who wants our country to accept and normalize pedophilia. A group of adults who are sexually attracted to young children want us to accept that and not condemn it. And they say things like, well, love is love. I, I can't help who I love. I can't help who I'm attracted to. I was, I was born this way. And if there is no objective governing standard, how can you condemn them? You can't. The best thing you can say is, well, that's not for me, but I can't tell you how to live your life. It's just my preferences versus your preferences. You end up with a world in which you have to approve of even something as perverse as pedophilia. It's also the reason our world wants to let prepubescent children chemically castrate themselves and undergo life-altering surgeries just because the child says that they are a different gender than the one they were born. And our world says, well, they know best. They are their own authority. They can tell us what they want to do with their lives, and we have no ability to condemn them. If there is no objective governing standard, folks, do you see what you end up with? Do you see the world of madness you end up with, of chaos? Our world, especially in America, says, hey, listen to the children. But then they show themselves to be utter hypocrites. Why? Well, because in our country, you have to be 21 before you can buy alcohol or tobacco. You have to be 15 before you can work a job and drive a car. You've got to be 18 before you can participate in and have some say in who is fit to run the free world. Now, just keep that in mind. America says you're not smart enough or wise enough to know who gets to run this country or have a say in who gets to run this country until you're at least 18. But then they say, surely a five-year-old knows what's best for himself at five years old. That's hypocritical, okay? If I let my four-year-old decide what's good for himself, he'd be eating marshmallows and Skittles all day long every day, okay? They don't know what's best for themselves. They're four and five years old. They're children. But the world says, because we live in a world like this, they are their own authority. They can govern their own lives. They know best. We can't condemn them. That's the world that the Bible says we end up with when people forsake the word of God. It's the world we're living in, is it not? When you forsake God's word, when you reject an absolute objective governing standard for the world, you submit yourself to relativism. And if you submit yourself to relativism, you lose all right to condemn anything. And if you lose all right to condemn anything, you're left with one option. You know what it is, church? Approval and acceptance. Isn't that exactly what we read in Romans 1? It's not enough that people are participating in sin. 
We have to give our hearty approval to their sin. We have to praise it. And so look, when you're looking out in our world today and you see people praising evil and wickedness, when you see people promoting sin and debauchery, when you see people participating in the wicked ways of the world and you're scratching your head going, how can they do this? I mean, how can they be attracted to children? How can they murder babies? How, how can they do these evil, wicked things? I want you to remember the answer the Bible gives you. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked. And so what is the church to do? Well, the first thing God tells us to do here is we must submit ourselves to the standard of the word or else we're going to be conformed to the standard of the world. You either submit yourself to the standard of the word or you're going to end up conformed to the standard of the world. And here's what I know for sure this morning. You know, I don't know maybe where everyone is in their own personal life this morning, but here's what I can promise you absolute certainty. Everyone in this room is already submitting themselves to some standard. Whether you realize it or not, whether you've thought about this or not, you know, puzzled through this, every person in this room is already submitting themselves to some standard. Now, it might be God, and praise the Lord if it is, but it could easily be something else. You might be submitting yourself to the standard of society and culture, and basically whatever they say goes, that's what you're going to adhere to. Whatever they say is good and bad and right and wrong, you're going to follow along with that. For, for others, it could be social perception, and you're saying, hey, I know what the world deems as being a, a good person and someone who's socially perceptive, you know, uh, uh, acceptable. I'm going to strive to emulate that. And so if I can just agree with them on all these things, then they're going to accept me. So you're submitting yourself to that. Social perception. For other people, it could be some sort of philosophical ideal that you've come up with. But listen to me. For most people in our world today, the standard they're submitting themselves to is themselves. They are deciding what's good and bad, right and wrong. What's praiseworthy and not praiseworthy. And here's what happens. Here's what I want you to understand. If you are submitting yourself to literally any other standard then God and his word, you're going to end up looking just like the rest of the world. You're going to end up acting like the rest of the world, thinking like the rest of the world, reasoning like them, valuing the things they value, giving yourself to the things they give. And the ultimate result that it's going to have on your life, the ultimate result is going to be, you're just going to be another product of the world, completely indistinguishable from the rest of the world. And yet... Christians are called to be different, right? I mean, was not, wasn't Jesus who said that we're to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We're to be in the world. We're to be distinguishable from the world. We're to be different from those around us. And that only happens by submitting ourselves to God and his governing standard, to his word. One of the best ways, Christians, that you can make yourself distinguished from the rest of the world is by submitting to God's word. Because no one else is doing that. Everyone else is going with the crowd and going with what society says and culture says. If you want to be different, if you want to rebel against that, listen to God. Obey him. Submit yourself to his word. And that's exactly what Jesus did throughout his life, right? I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but have you ever realized how many times throughout the Bible and in the Gospels when you're reading about the life of Jesus where people tried to get Jesus to obey man rather than God? 
where they try to get Jesus to submit himself to some other standard than God's standard. Do you realize that? It was happening all the time, particularly with the religious people. Uh, I don't know if you understand this, but the Pharisees did not like Jesus at all. They were always mad with Jesus about something, right? Jesus would be doing something great, but it wouldn't exactly follow the rules and regulations the Pharisees had set up. And so they get angry with Jesus and they're wanting him to abide by their rules. I mean, I just, I love thinking about the example of Jesus feeding the 5,000 where he does this great miracle and puts the kingdom of God on display and the power of God on display. And the Pharisees, the religious people, they should have looked at that and been like, this is amazing. Only God can do this. Surely this is God among us, God in the flesh. And yet the religious people get angry with Jesus for two reasons. Number one, he didn't wash his hands first. Now, that wasn't hygienic, had nothing to do with hygiene. The Pharisees had created these rules and these customs saying you had to do a, a ceremonial hand washing before you uh, served a meal or ate a meal. And so they said, Jesus, here are our rules. Here's what we've set up. You're not doing this. So they get angry with him. And then the other thing is he ate with the wrong group of people, right? <laughs> he ate with the Gentiles. And they said, hey, we have all these rules about who you can and cannot eat with. And those people... You're not allowed to eat with those people. And Jesus essentially says to them, you would rather have me submit myself to your made-up, man-made rules than obey God and His will for my life. To extend God's grace to the Gentiles and welcome them into the kingdom of God. I just want to be clear here. You would rather me obey man rather than God. Are we clear on that? And, and the Pharisees did not like Jesus saying things like that. But Jesus did not play by man's rules. Do we understand that, church? Jesus did not submit himself to man's standards. At every point in his life, he was submitting himself to the will of the Father and to the, the Word of God. The Word of God was his governing standard. My question for you, if you call yourself a Christian, is it yours? Are you submitting yourself to God's Word and seeking to be conformed to the image of God. Here's the best way you can figure this out. You examine your life right now. The things you do, the way you talk, the things you value, what you prioritize. Look at your life this morning and then ask yourself, does my life look more like that of Jesus or the world? And there's your answer. Any Christian or church who looks more like the world than like Jesus, shows the world that God's word is not their ultimate standard of governance. That they're not actually submitting themselves to what God says in his word. And yet, we must do that, church. If we do not submit ourselves to the standard of the word, we are going to be conformed to the image of the world. We're not going to look like Christ. We're going to look like every other unbeliever on this earth. So that's step one. Now we get into the hard part of the message. Step two. What does the second part of verse four say? So the first part, remember, those who forsake the law praise the wicked. But, but step two, those who keep the law strive against them. 
Now, I want you to notice what this verse is doing. The first part of the verse explains why evil is so prominent in our world today. But the second part of the verse tells us what we as Christians are supposed to do about the uh, rise in prosperity of evil in our world today. The Bible says that we are to strive against the wicked. Now, you might be wondering, well, pastor, what does the word strive mean? Does it mean have a a hard conversation? Are we supposed to just, you know, maybe engage someone in conversation? Is that what it means? Here's what the word literally means. In Hebrew, it means to grate cheese. It means to grate. It's the word they use to grate cheese. And figuratively, it meant to, to contend, to stir up strife, to meddle in the affairs of others. They use this word to describe going to war and waging war on an opposing kingdom. And here's the thing for you, Christians. That's what you're called to do. You are called to great against the evil of this world. You are called to meddle in the affairs of the wicked. You are called to stir up strife. Is that what we're doing? The answer is no. You can say no, because it is. I mean, I just want you to think about how that pushes back and it confronts the common attitude of Christians today. Because I don't know if you know this, but most Christians are just all talk. Can we say that? Can we agree on that? Most Christians are all talk. We like to sit around and talk about how bad the world is, right? Yes, pastor, of course we do. <laughs> you know it's true. I know it's true. Christians like to sit around and complain. We want to talk about, I don't like this. Have you seen this? I saw this on Fox News. This is what's going on in the world. They want to do this. We want to sit around and we just want to talk about all the things we disagree with, all the things that make us angry, all the things that are wrong in the world. But that's okay. That's fine. The question is, what are you actually doing about any of those things? Because God does not call His people to sit around and talk and complain. He calls us to take action. That's what this verse is literally telling us to do here. And I know that a lot of people think, well, hey, pastor, I'd love to, but there's just not much that we can do as Christians. We're really limited in what we can do as Christians, especially here in America. And here's the most common excuse I hear. You ready for this? I have people tell me there's not much the church can do. There's not much Christians can do here in America, because here in America, we have something called the separation of church and state. And here's what bothers me is that the majority of people don't understand that the only thing that means, and, and literally the only thing that means, is that America will never have a state-instituted church. That's it. In England, they have the Church of England. That is the state church. Separation of church and state in America, the only thing it means is that America will never have that. We'll never have the Church of America. That's it. <laughs> It certainly does not mean that Christians are to have no say in matters of politics, policy, or anything else in this world. Christians are to have an influence on every single aspect of not only America, but the world. Can we agree on that, church? One of the biggest problems with the church today is we're sitting around doing nothing, talking and complaining 
saying we can't do anything because of the separation of church and state, and even if we could, we're not really to get involved in politics and policy and all this kind of stuff. And God is saying, I've called you to strive against the wicked. Get up and do something, church. You can't just sit here and do nothing. In fact, I'd go so far to say that any church, any faith that is confined to the four walls of a church building is good for nothing. If your faith never leaves this place, it's good for nothing. It's not a faith that can have any sort of impact on this world. God says the church has to leave the building. The church has to leave the building. The church has to go and have an influence on this world and actually do something to combat the rise of evil in this world. So step two, here's what we do. We must go to war against the kingdom of darkness. That's what you've been called to do. That's not me saying it as your pastor. That's what God says to do here. Strive against the wicked. You must be willing to go to war against the kingdom of darkness. I want you to understand this. We cannot be passive because our enemy is not passive. Amen? He is on the move constantly. He is seeking to expand his kingdom constantly. The Bible says the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is not passive. And so we can't be passive, church. We have to do something. And the good news for us, Jesus encourages us with these words. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How encouraging is that? That's so good, right? I will build my church. It's not up to you. It's not up to your strength. It's not up to your own ingenuity. It's not up to your planning. God says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. One common problem we have with that verse is we, we like to imagine ourselves being this kingdom and we have these fortified walls and we're just constantly under attack by the enemy. But we have this promise that we're going to stand strong throughout all of eternity because Jesus will ensure our victory. And that's true. But the problem is that just imagines a purely defensive stance. And God says, you're not just to be a defensive people, you're to go and wage your own attacks on the enemy. I mean, what good is it if we just stand there taking blow after blow after blow, but we never actually do anything to launch a counterattack? We have to take action. That's what God calls us to do as his people. Do you remember from Matthew chapter 5? Jesus said his followers are to be the lights of the world. Meaning we are to go into this sin-sick, dark world and we are to pierce the darkness with the light of Christ. We're to push it out. That requires taking action, does it not? Jesus also said that his followers are to be the salt of the earth. Meaning this world is sick with sin, it's contaminated, and we are to go and immerse ourselves into this world and bring about purification and healing to a sin-sick world. That requires action. We cannot afford to sit back and do nothing because when we fail to take action, evil gains traction. But like I said, unfortunately, most of us were just sitting around talking and complaining. We do get bold sometimes on, on social media, sometimes, <laughs> behind our keyboards, and we write a post on social media 
Oh, I saw this on the news. I hate this. I can't stand this. This bothers me. It shouldn't be this way. Look, you can post on social media all you want. It's not going to do anyone any good. You can talk with your friend in private and you can complain. You can text them and complain. But that doesn't do anyone any good either. If you are truly bothered by what you see in this world, you've got to do something about it, Christian. You're not called to just sit here on a Sunday morning and listen to the pastor preach on one verse for an hour and a half. I'm not going to do that today, but that's not what you're called to do. So listen to me. Look, if you look at our world and you see these evils, you got to do something about it. I mean, think about human trafficking. I mean, you know, there are more slaves now because of human trafficking than there have ever been throughout any point in human history. Even back to the days of slavery, there are more people enslaved now. And so if you're disgusted by human trafficking, you got to step up and do something about it. And look, we cannot rely on the government. We learned this recently when we partnered with Justice Ministries and we had uh, Jordan's friend from North Carolina come talk to us. He basically told us the government knows about this problem. They're doing nothing about this problem. And listen to me. It's not the government's responsibility. It's the church's. The church is responsible and supposed to do something about the evil in this world. We can't put it in the hands of unbelievers to take care of this. It's a spiritual issue. The church has to do something. So if you don't like human trafficking, since we have just partnered with Justice Ministries, there are all sorts of ways you can get involved now. You come talk to me, you come talk to Jordan, we can get you plugged in and you can actually do something to fight against this evil in a real way that's going to make a difference. Or what about other evils in our world? If you're appalled and heartbroken by the number of unborn babies every single year who were murdered, do something about it. I was looking up uh, numbers for abortion ever since it was legalized. Did you know you would have to eliminate over half of the entire population of states in this country? 27 states. You'd have to eliminate every single person who lives in one of those states right now to equal the number of babies aborted and murdered every single year since it was legalized. Just can you think about that for a second for me? Imagine you woke up and saw a news report tomorrow that said every single person in 27 of the 50 states dead. The world would say this is the greatest tragedy we have ever seen, would they not? They say this is the greatest horrific evil and tragedy we've ever seen. And yet it happens every single year in this country and people applaud it. Because the church isn't doing anything. That's why abortion is still legal in this country, by the way. It's, it's because the church is not doing anything. We're trying not to get involved. And so it's allowed to, to prosper. And so if you are appalled by it, if you hate seeing that, step up and do something, church. Join the movement. I mean, there's a, a movement right now, an organization called End Abortion Now. You can get involved in that right now and help fight against this. You could offer to foster or adopt. You could pay the hospital bills for mothers who feel they have no other option. There are all sorts of ways to get involved. Call your congressperson. Call the governor. Write a letter. Do something. But you can't just sit around complaining and talking, thinking it's going to make any sort of difference. Whether it's injustice, whether it's racism, corruption, abortion, human trafficking, or the gender crisis, pick a target 
and then go to war against that evil for the sake of the gospel. I mean, find practical ways to fight back against the rise of evil. But for the love of all things holy, please do not just sit around complaining about it, thinking that's going to make a lick of difference. Because it's not. I praise the Lord that Jesus did not sit around and just talk when it came to us. Are you not thankful for that? Imagine Jesus just stayed in heaven, looking down, talking with the Father, talking with the Holy Spirit, going... I hate to see it. It bothers me so much. It hurts my heart to see our people giving themselves to sin like this. I hate that the devil's having his way with that world. I hate the effect that sin's having. But imagine he just sat there talking and complaining and never did anything. You know where we would be? In hell. Without a savior. But Jesus was not a God of talk. He is a God of action. And praise the Lord for that. He came to this earth to wage war against the kingdom of darkness, to shine his light into the darkness of this world, to push it back, to defeat the enemy, to free his people by the blood of his cross. Jesus took action for us. Will we not take some action for him? And I know that the biggest holdup is people are afraid, right? We all agree with that. People are afraid. They say, listen. It's scary to think about waging war against the kingdom of darkness. It's scary to think about going to war against Satan. I've been preparing this message all week and I'm sick today. He tried to keep me out of the pulpit, but by the grace of God, I'm here. I know it's scary. I was telling Michael before service, I've been sick pretty much every day of my life since I became a pastor. It comes with the territory, okay? But we're still here. We're still preaching the gospel. Jesus will get the glory. Here's what I'm saying. I know it's scary. I know it's scary to think about stirring up some strife to meddle in the affairs of the wicked. But here's what I want to remind you of this morning. is that God's people are not cowards. We're in Proverbs 28.4. The, the chapter literally starts Proverbs 28.1 with this verse. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Are you in Christ today? Do you claim the name of Christ? Have you had the righteousness of Christ attributed to you through faith in Christ? Then you're as bold as a lion, according to the word of God. Not only that, but we know from 2 Timothy 1.7, the Bible says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear. You afraid, church? That doesn't come from God. He gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And listen to me. Why should we fear? Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Bible says that the lamb will receive the reward for his sufferings. The Bible says Jesus will have the victory and all those who are in Christ will share in that victory with him. Why should we be afraid? If our God is for us, who can be against us? This is why we are bold as a lion. It's not because we're brave. It's not because we're great. It's because our God cannot be defeated. And he is with his people. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to look around our world and see how evil prevails. I want you to look at this world and see the utter depravity and perversity of sin. And I want you to realize that the Bible is saying it is time for Christians to rise up and finally say enough is enough. 
It is time for us to stop being passive and take some action. It's time to start speaking up even when you're afraid. It's time to start having some hard conversations. It's time to join in the fight against the evils in our world. It's time to meddle in the affairs of the wicked. It's time to stir up the waters. It's time to stir up some strife. It's time to go to war against the kingdom of darkness. Do you hear what I'm calling you to do, church? As your pastor this morning, I am calling you to go and disrupt this world and the evils therein for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. 